Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You on this uh, December 27th day of 2015. I'm Larry Kay, a recovered compulsive reader from Chicago, and um, I, I want to let you know that the share ID for Friday, December 25th, is 8295. That's 8295, the share ID for Friday. Well, Vision for You uh, uh, welcomes this morning uh, Kathleen W. She's going to be from Arizona. She's going to be sharing what is this uh, but a miracle of healing. And, you know, she's going to be weaving uh, Chapter 4 through her own personal story. You know, Chapter 4, you know, talks about uh, how it works. And, uh, boy, oh, boy, you know, this, uh, this program of action that we find in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous really gets us to a point where uh, we can begin to apply these principles and work these steps. And it, it tells us just exactly how the heck this works. And so I know that for me, um, you know, uh, navigating through this, <clears throat> this big book, the first 164 pages, which, which is the practical program of action, you know, was a little bit treacherous. But we find that it wasn't as difficult as we as we made it out to be. That there were some very specific instructions that we would we would find out precisely what our problem was very early in the in the big book. It would t- tell us what our problem was. <clears throat> we would then you know begin to navigate and find out what the solution to that problem was, and then we would be able to have some specific instructions that the big book gives us on how to bring that solution to light. And, you know, uh, bringing the solution to light brings us into alignment with a higher power of our own understanding. And the, the big book uh, lays out these principles in the, in the 12 steps that we, <clears throat> that we study each morning on a vision for you. So now what I'd like to do is I'd like to turn it over to Kathleen W. from Arizona. Kathleen, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your experience with us. Are you there, Kathleen? Yes, my pleasure. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you wonderfully. You take it away. Great. Um, I wanted to thank you, Larry, for your service and everyone who has always helped out on this meeting. Um, it has just made such a difference in my life to study the big book like we do every morning. I'm very grateful. And my name is Kathleen W., and I'm 51, and I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And I want to share my experience, strength, and hope and how it relates to Chapter 4 in the big book. <clears throat> and I love the line on page 57, the second paragraph, where it says, What is this but a miracle of he- healing? because I can identify that with my life experience and where I was and where I am today. And on page 44, in the middle of the paragraph, it says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, in our case, compulsive overeating, you have little control over how much you take, you are probably alcoholic or compulsive overeater in our case. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. I can identify with that paragraph. Um, Ever since I was a little girl, I knew there was a God carrying me through my life. My higher power is God. Um, But I could never never do for myself um, 
I could never do for myself, but I, I, I trusted and relied on him. I could never trust and rely on him for my eating disorder. I knew there was a God, but I never asked him for help with my eating disorder. And um, when they wrote this book, they wanted everyone to have this miracle of recovery. So no matter what your higher power is, everyone has access to this wonderful solution. On the bottom of page 46, it says, The realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. So I grew up as the fourth and youngest child. I've lived in Phoenix since I was four. My dad got a job transfer. My dad was, just to give you some background, my dad was a raging alcoholic. And he was emotionally unavailable. Um, <clears throat> just to give you an example, my mom would have a lot of dinner parties, and um, she would spend a lot of time really preparing to have all these people over and getting food ready all day. And then my dad would um, be drinking, and then he would start an argument with one of the guests, and then they would get angry and everyone would leave and then my parents would fight and so this that's that went on a lot as a child and then I had um, I have two older sisters Um, one is bipolar and alcoholic and then I had a brother Um, I I have two sisters one's 15 months older than me the other one's four years older than me and then I had a brother who was six years older than me and my parents had a lot of problems with him, um, and he was later diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he ended up committing suicide. It'll be four years ago on St. Patrick's Day, and I do think that he was a compulsive eater just like me. Um, he struggled with his mental illness when he was younger, and he would medicate on LSD and other drugs, and my my dad and my brother had violent fights Um there was they would get into physical fights there was blood splattered on the wall my brother would pull a gun on him there was police in our house almost every night and I was sent to my room um and I remember just screaming and I was probably about maybe eight and I would just I would scream and I was just that's when my hundred forms of fear started that became one of my coping mechanisms I was full of fear and it carried through until my adulthood and um, so I would go to, so I just was a very terrified and frightened little girl. And um, I would go to school the next day and I would feel different from everyone. And I, I felt different from everyone that stayed with me, fear and feeling different from everyone, like I didn't fit in. And my mom um, would buy Twinkies and Ding Dongs for quote unquote special occasions and she would hide them in the kitchen um, drawer, and then my sister and I, my sister was not a compulsive overeater, but we would find them, and I remember I was probably about eight, and I would go in the backyard, and I would sit and eat the ding-dong in the orange tree, and so that's when my um, eating in isolation began, and then we had, there was a big family that lived across the street, and um, I used to go over there and play a lot, and there was a little girl um, that was a year younger than me, and we played a lot, and they had a, a lot of food. And I would always say, Teresa, what do you guys have to eat? And my real motivation was to, to eat while I was at her house. And then 
I mean, I remember sitting in her avocado um, um, booth, green booth in the kitchen and just scooping these weird concoctions, scooping potato chips with ice cream and, you know, just some really strange food behaviors. Um, And then, um, and I learned to escape my scary feelings of fear with the food and it numbed the pain. And it was how I dealt with my fear as a child. And I grew up in a traditional church and the only place I ever felt safe was when I was in church standing next to my mom and she was singing and I would have just a peace in my heart and um, God was there with me and he planted peace in my heart but this was the only peace I ever felt at that time and on page 55 on the second paragraph it says deep down in every man woman and child is the fundamental idea of God and that memory has stayed with me. And looking back, I can see that God was even with me back then, but I still felt all alone. Um, and as the years went by, I just, my fear, my hundred forms of fear kept growing. And I still used food as comfort. And then when I look back on my senior high school graduation picture, I my face was really puffy from binging. And then I went on a senior high school trip, and I was getting ready to graduate, and I just binged a lot because, once again, I had my 100 forms of fear, and um, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? You know, it was very fearful to graduate from high school. I had no coping skills, and I went on the senior trip to Disneyland, and I remember I specifically bought this dress that was free-flowing. Um, because when I would binge, I would look pregnant, and my stomach would just get so extended, and I couldn't have anything binding around my stomach because it was so un- uncomfortable. And I remember on that senior trip, um, I was wearing, I wore, brought a pair of jeans, and they were just so tight that I refused to get a bigger size, and they were just so uncomfortable. And when I look back on those pictures. You know, that should have been a fun time for me, but it was a painful time. You know, I was not a happy time because I was was binging. And then when I was 19, I worked at a hospital, and I um, transported patients to and from x-ray. And I had this purple jumpsuit outfit, and I wore it because it had, once again, an extendable waistband. And I didn't realize how inappropriately how inappropriately short it was and I wore it because I was limited as to what fit and then I was mortified when my boss paged me at work and he and I called him back to ask what he needed and he said that one of the nurses complained about how short my outfit was and that it was inappropriate and never wear it again and I was mortified and I remember I don't I don't know for sure but I'm pretty certain I binged over that and then I took diet pills, and one time um, when I was same job working at that hospital, I took some diet pills, and I had a really bad reaction, and I could hear my heartbeat in my head. I felt like I was going to have a heart attack, and I had some coworkers that worked in ER, and they gave me a bottle of Epitac, and I I drank the whole thing, and I became violently ill, and I threw up uncontrollably, and when I was done, I felt like I got hit by a car, and these are the kinds of things that I would do, you know, to to try to deal with my binging. It was just insane, 
And then when I was um, 19, um, a lot of my darkest, darkest time of my eating disorder was when I was around 19, early 20s. And um, I don't remember if I had quit my job or what, but I was laid in bed a lot. I would, I would binge and and sleep and binge and sleep. And I, I think I, I, well, I did steal a bunch of the hospital greens from the from the hospital I was working at because they had the drawstring um, waistband, and it's the only thing I really could wear. And I would isolate and shut the blinds, and I would just, the only sunshine I saw during this period was when I would go to the grocery store to get my binge food, and then I would just come home, and, oh, and then I also had laxatives. And I don't know if anyone on the line has ever used laxatives, but I don't, I'm not even going to go into the details, but you know what I'm talking about. And um, and then I wouldn't shower for like days on end. My hair was really greasy. My face was very bloated, and um, I felt like I didn't even deserve a shower. In the bathroom we had, on the one wall it was all a mirror, and I I wouldn't turn the light on because I didn't. I was disgusted with myself. I didn't want to see my face. And um, and then one time. And I, it's like I would binge and sleep and binge and sleep and binge and sleep. And it was just, I was only 19. And and it was, you know, I was wasting my life away. Um, you know, but I can't forget where I, where I came from and what it was truly like for me. And um, one time my sister came over and I was just, you know, I was um, binging in my green scrubs. And I talked to her through the comforter. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get out from under the comforter because I didn't want her to see my face. And she's like, and she like opened the blinds and stuff. And, and she's like, what's wrong with you? And I said, I just lied. And I just told her I wasn't feeling well. And I, I wanted her to hurry up and leave so I could just be alone in my misery. And cloudy days were always an excuse to binge and sleep all day. Um, <clears throat> and then I told my mom that I wanted to go to a therapist for my anxiety but I actually wanted to stop to find out why I couldn't stop binging. And the therapist I went to, he just, he told me just stop eating. (laughs) And as you know, that doesn't work for us. And, um, and so I ended up in an outpatient eating disorder clinic and I was in there with, I don't remember if it was a 12, 12 step based program. I think I was in my early twenties by then. And, um, and I, I was, everyone else was either addicted to drugs or alcohol. And so I binged in, it was outpatient. I binged in the car there and I binged on, in the car on the way home. And it really did not help me. And then I went to aftercare and the, my mentor told me about OA and he was my Ebby. And so I started, that's when I first started going to OA and I spent years in and out of OA and it never really stuck. And I never studied the doctor's opinion. I never knew what was wrong with me until I was 49 years old. So you can, I've wasted so many years in, with this disease. And so, um, so, you know, and that's really what has made the difference for me is just studying the big book like we, you know, two years ago finally, like we do in our meetings. And um, 
so then I, you know, then I thought, well, if I'm going to give up my binge foods, then I might as well drink alcohol. So I became a binge drinker. And what I, you know, I would drink a ton of alcohol and get a really fast buzz very quickly. And I didn't realize that, you know, alcohol has sugar in it. And every time I drank alcohol, it would trigger the phenomenon of craving, as we learn in in that doctor's opinion. And then after I would drink alcohol, then I would crave my binge foods. So not only was I drink binge drinking, but then I would I would binge on my food. And you can imagine what it felt like the next morning um, to not only have an alcohol hangover but a food hangover. It was absolute um, misery. And and I. And I remember I, I couldn't stand being in my own skin. My my skin crawled. I could I could smell and feel the toxins coming out of my body. Um, I'm sure a lot of you can identify with what I'm talking about when we have a food hangover. And um, you know, and I never I never felt loved as a child. So I would try to find my identity in men, and I would find these emotionally unavailable men, just like my dad. And then when it didn't work out and they rejected me, I would take a nosedive into the food and start binging again. And I would isolate and shut myself off from the world. And then I would lose weight and restrict while I was dating someone. And then when they discarded me, I I would isolate again and start binging and gain my weight back. It was just it was it was just an insane way to live. And I did this over and over and over for years. And I was in and out of a relapse for many years. And then when I was 25, I let my brother live with me, and he kept getting fired from his jobs um, because of his untreated mental illness, and I felt sorry for him. And one time he got mad at me, and he punched me in the eye. So I called the police, and he got arrested, and my dad bailed him out. And I hated my brother for years after that and was extremely resentful towards my dad for paying money to bail him out after he beat me up. And I didn't talk to my brother for years. He got married and divorced, and I never met his wife. And then I dated um, a noncommittal boyfriend for six years. And um, I told him, I said, I have a brother. You'll never meet him. And he never did. And then my parents got divorced um, after 29 years. My mom divorced my dad. And my dad looked to me and my sister for help and would call us all the time. I loved my dad, but I hated him for not being there for me as a child. I was resentful towards him because I felt like he was never there for me, and now he wanted me to be there for him. And I was—I had so much anger and resentment inside of me, both towards my brother and my dad. And I did go—I did go to therapy for two years when I was um, 36 to deal with my dad issues. And, of course, my therapist discovered I was attracting emotionally unavailable men, just like my dad. And I worked with her for two years. And I'm grateful I did. And it helped me tremendously. Um, and then in 2002, my dad fell and broke his hip. And he ended up dying of pneumonia a month later. And I had tremendous healing in my dad's death. And looking back, I can see where God was carrying me the entire time. And he orchestrated everything. My dad was sober the last month of his life in a nursing home, and I got to see the true man that God created him to be. I sat on his bed in the nursing home two days before he died, 
and we talked and we both cried and I told him that I felt like he was never there for me as a little girl. He looked me right in the eyes and told me that as his dad, he did the best he could. And for the first time in my life, I respected my dad and I could see where he was coming from. All my resentments towards my dad were gone and I felt complete love and compassion towards him. I ended up being with him when he took his last breath and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced next to my daughter being born. God carried me through the entire thing and I knew there was a God, but I never trusted him with my eating disorder or asked him for help. And um, I knew as long as my dad was alive and until I worked through some things, it would be very difficult for me to have a healthy relationship. And then I met my husband four and a half months after my dad died. I was still resentful towards my brother and still had had not talked to him for 10 years. And my husband is a normie and doesn't have any addictions. So this was all new to him when he met me. And I remember um, one time he spent, when we were dating, he spent a lot of time at my house just helping me, um, um, you know, fix up my house and stuff like that. And one time, and I just, I I felt really insecure about telling him that I was in OA and um, because I had a lot of shame about it. And I had gone to an OA meeting and um but of course, you know, I wasn't studying the big book. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so he came I came home and he was like he was like, Where were you? And I said I and I and I was like, Oh, okay, I get it. I need to be honest with him and tell him that I'm that I have an eating disorder. And so I um told him and I was I was just ready for him to say you have too much baggage, um, you know, I can't deal with this, and I'm out of here. And I even told him that. I said, if if this is too much for you, um, you can break up with me, you know. And <laughs> and that was not the case at all. He he loved me, and he supported me, and, and he said, you know, I don't know anything about eating disorders, um, but I, I want to – try to understand and I, you know, I'm going to support you. And so um, it was just a real, a beautiful thing. And he also encouraged me to heal my relationship with my brother. And I truly believe that my, that God worked through my bro- my husband to and my daughter to heal my relationship with my brother because I had venom coming out of my mouth. I was, or, you know, I was just so resentful and angry. And um and then I got married for the first time when I was thirty nine and I had um my one and only child when I was forty one. She's gonna be ten next month. And just to go back um a little bit, when I was thirty three I just felt like I was, you know, I I just wasn't worthy to ever marry anyone and certainly I would never have kids. I had I had thought, you know, I'm just, this is my lot in life. You know, I, I just have too much baggage. No one's going to love me. Um, I'll never get married, and I certainly won't have kids. And I had, I have a history of just having really bad cramps every month. And I remember I went to my doctor, and I told him, I said, I was 33, and I said, I want to have a hysterectomy. 
and I said, you know, I don't plan on having kids, and I, I just don't want to go through this every month. And he told me, he said, well, I can't do it. You, you're very healthy. You just are one of the unfortunates that has excruciating cramps every month, and your insurance won't pay for it. So I felt like my plan, that that plan of mine, God slammed the door on it because his plan was that I was going to get married when I was 39 and have my first and only child when I was 41. It's very clear to me now what was going on. Um, and one thing about my life that really, really relates to Chapter 4 is <clears throat> when I look in the rearview mirror, you know, it's been really, this has been the hardest part for me, Step 2, to really trust and rely on a power greater than myself um, because my higher power, which is God, is invisible. And but when I, when I, as I go through my life and I look in the rearview rear mirror, I can see where God's hand was in it. And, um, and that's how I see my God working in my life. And um, so, let me see. Um, so then my, um, as I mentioned, God worked through my husband and my daughter to heal my relationship with my brother. And my brother, I mean my husband, <laughs> I keep getting everyone mixed up. My husband really encouraged me to heal my relationship with my brother. And next thing you know, I was, my, my brother was at the Arizona State Hospital. He was in solitary confinement for assaulting two cops. And um, next thing you know, I'm holding my daughter's hand. She was 18 months old, and we're walking into the Arizona State Hospital, and we're picking up my brother, and we're taking him to my mom's house because he was allowed to have supervised visits and, and go off-site. Um, and so I slowly let him back into my life. And over the next few years, he would call our house and talk to my daughter. And they developed, and this is where my daughter, God works through my daughter to heal my relationship with my brother. Um, he, my, my brother and my daughter developed a precious relationship. And he would call on the phone and they would talk and he adored her and she put him on a pedestal. And she gave him joy, the only joy he ever had, and um, towards the end of his life. And and I didn't realize at this time that God was healing my past pain through my husband and my daughter. And um, for and as I mentioned earlier, my brother ended up taking his life um, four years ago, and he was really a tortured soul. And he couldn't take it anymore. And and as I mentioned, I really think he was a compulsive overeater like me. And um, I didn't realize it until after the fact. And um, I'm so grateful for the healing and compassion and love I felt towards my brother, which was only possible through God. And if it weren't for that experience, I would have had so much unfinished business with my brother. And um, And then... After I had my daughter, I was um, diagnosed with a medical condition, and I had to take some meds, and it just, it made me really hungry, and I was um, famished, and I my binging came back with a vengeance, and at this time, ironically, I ended up working in another hospital. By this time, I was, oh, I don't know, 40, 
six or seven, something like that, and I'm 51 now. And <clears throat> I was a data data analyst for a weight loss surgery clinic, and one of and they did like gastric bypass and sleeves and all those different weight loss surgeries. And one of my jobs was to to re, to review all the complications. And because I am one of them, and I also have the twofold illness, I could see it was very clear to me what they were doing. They were finding ways to binge again, and um, and I could see it in the complications. Um, and one of the um, girls that I worked with, oh, and then so I was in and out of relapse during the time that I worked there, and and then all of a sudden it would just it would the physical craving would just come on really fast, and then I would end up going to the cafeteria and I would buy my bench foods, and then I would secretly secretly eat them in my office. And then one day during this period, I ended up having a horrible binge at home, and I ate so many binge foods with with extremely high amounts of sodium, and I couldn't even bend my knees. And they blew my knees blew up like like basketballs, and I could be, hardly bend my legs. And then the next day, I went into work, and um, one of the girls I worked with, who was one of us, and she was getting ready to get a gastric bypass, she noticed how puffy my face was, and she commented on, um, she said, your face looks really swollen, and I lied, and I, I told her, you know, oh, I'm going to start my period, you know, and um, she, and I really suspected, she knew that I was secretly binging, and then another time I really realized I had a problem during this period when I was in relapse is um, I had gotten out of um, I was coming out of a three. I was coming out of a, a relapse, and I was detoxing. And I don't know about any of you, but it takes me about three days to to get out of detox to go through detox. And our neighbor next door invited us over to go swimming. And after I was binging, I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to wear a bathing suit. So my husband and daughter went without me. And so the neighbor's wife was in the pool with my daughter, and that should have been me in the pool with my daughter. So I realized that it, this disease was affecting my quality time with my daughter and um, and my husband. And, and, you know, I wasn't present for them. And my last binge was two years ago on Christmas, and I had gone to my mom's for Christmas, and I was really sloppy with my food. And I remember grazing on a bowl of trail mix. And then when we got home, I ended up standing in our pantry and just binging. And my husband was um, in the in my daughter's bedroom putting together a Barbie van that she got for Christmas. I wasn't present for them at all. And I kept peering down the, the hall to make sure that they wouldn't come out so I could continue binging. And I had been working with um, a sponsor and another um, OA um, uh, meeting, and they didn't study the big. They didn't study um, the doctor's opinion, and they just believed that you just put the fork down when you're done eating, and you can have any of your binge, you know, in any of your trigger ingredients. And then I had gone through the steps with her, um, and then after I was done with the steps, going through the steps. 
we never really talked about them again. We would talk, I talked to her every day. We we'd talk about the events of the day. And then I started binging again. And then she was binging again. <laughs> and it was a very unhealthy situation. And I had been listening to the Vision for You meetings. And I, um, <clears throat> and I, I, I got really scared because my binging just, I couldn't get out of it. And um, so I called some recovered fellows and, and they told me, they said, you need to um, find a recovered sponsor. You need to go through the 12 steps again. And, um, and then another one told me, you know, I was like, how do I find one? And she said, you pound the pavement. And that really stuck with me. So I was, I put my name out there and I, I found someone within a week, a week and a half. And I've been um, working with her for two years. And, and the only thing, studying the big book like we do, and especially the doctor's opinion, has been the only thing that has helped me. I've tried everything. And I'm just so grateful. And then on page... 52, the last sentence in the first in the first paragraph, it says, we discard old ideas for new by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something new that does. So that's what I did. And then I love the next paragraph where it says, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply our human problems, this same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional nature. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these developments more important than whether we could see, we should see newsreels of lunar flight. Of course it was. And I feel like that paragraph sums up how I live and feel when I'm when I'm not recovered and I'm not working the program. For for me, God either is or he is not. What is my choice to be? <clears throat> like it says on page fifty three, the second paragraph, last two sentences, I was crushed by a self imposed crisis and my way was not working. This disease emotionally stunned my growth, and I had to learn things for the first time in my 30s and 40s that normal people don't even think about. Like, you know, I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but I just, I, just the easy things in life I couldn't even do because I was spending so much time in bed binging, and I just, you know, like simple things like cleaning my house or or, you know, using a checkbook. And I tried to explain this to my husband. And because when I am binging and into food, I am a sloth. And um, I'm not one of those that can be productive in my life. When I, when I binge, I just want to sleep it off and I have no coping skills. But with this solution, now I do. By the grace of God, I no longer have anger, hatred, and resentment towards my dad or my brother like I used to. By trusting and relying in a power greater than myself and working this beautiful program, I was able to heal my past. I don't have to live like that anymore, but it is up to me not to rest on my laurels like I did for so many years. 
the only solution for me is to work this program one day at a time. I will never be cured of this disease. It's a daily reprieve contingent on my spiritual fitness. Today, I know in my heart that my dad did the best he could. He had his own painful history just like I did. He just didn't know how to nurture me as his child. He did the best he could with what he knew. My brother didn't choose to have a severe mental illness and was mentally tortured when he was here on earth. With God's help in this beautiful program, I am able to release resentments and fears by doing the steps and working with others. And today, I do 10 steps when I have resentments and fears. For so many years, I didn't. And that has just really made um, a difference for me. Plus, working with others, you know, because I can never forget where I came from. I can never forget how dark it is before the dawn. And um, this program has helped me to see others' point of view. And then my resentments turn into love and compassion for them, just like the resentment prayer teaches us. I drive by a homeless shelter by work several times per week. And one way to honor my brother is to pray for all the mentally ill and homeless people I see as I drive by. And that's a commitment I've made to my brother. And I want to end with the second full paragraph on page 57. What is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. He humbly offered himself to his maker than he knew. Even so, has God restored us all to our right minds. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly, but he has come to all who have honestly sought him. My experience, my personal experience, has evolved over time with my relationship with my higher power, and it was not sudden. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my experience, strength, and hope. And with that, I'll pass. Kathleen, thank you so much for your your powerful qualification this morning. Really appreciate that. So yeah. now it's going to be um, you know our opportunity to uh, to ask uh, to pose some questions to Kathleen, and uh, we're going to do that. And what I'm going to ask uh, uh, for you is to you know to be able uh, in doing that is to press star six to unmute and then what we'll do is we will uh we'll open it up to uh questions for her for a period of time now so who would like to uh to to pose a question to kathleen press star six to unmute this is mary that's california i'd like to ask a question okay i'm sorry star one i said star six star one of course okay let's start with matt and then we'll go with amy matt go ahead i think Good morning, Kathleen. I think we'll go with uh, Matt and then Matt and then Kathleen. Uh, Excuse me, Matt and then Amy. Matt, go ahead first, if you would. Thank you for your service, Larry. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. Compulsive Overeater from New Jersey. Thank you for your qualification, uh, Kathleen. Um, What do you do? um, Personally, I'm struggling a lot right now with the food. What do you do when you've been in the rooms for years and um, you have all the slogans in your head, you have all the big book knowledge, and you're just for some reason having trouble. You have the willingness, but it's just really difficult um, to find um, that last bit that you need to, um, to, to push through it and get back in uh, out of relapse. Um, can you hear me okay? We can. Okay. Um, I work the program like my life depends on it. And um, I tell my sponsees to 
be tethered to the program and live your life around the program. And um, in the beginning, two years ago, when I was coming out of relapse, um, I was in and out of relapse for a year. And and that was just one of the relapses I was in. I could not get out of it. I just could not get out of it. And and it was it was horrible. And um and I just I called people, I listened to meetings, the same meeting twice a day. Um I had to, like I said, work the program like my life depended on it and live my life around it. And um as I have gone on the past two years I've been able to um loosen the reins a little bit, but um you know what? And then, and it just, and then after, and I, I have a tendency to rest on my laurels and think that I can do this program on my own. And I have proven time after time after time I cannot do that. I can't do this on my own. And like I said, this is the only thing that has worked. So I would just, I would get yourself um, a, a network of people and. If you need, did you say, are you in relapse right now? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, If you need to, you know, call people before and after your meals, you know, whatever you need to do. But I would really, I would reach out to people and work this program um, like your life depends on it. That's what I had to do. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, we have, thanks, Matt, and we have Amy. Go ahead, Amy. Press star one to unmute, Amy. Okay, Amy, we can't hear you, so maybe we can uh, can open open it up to some others. Jenny Uh, asks... Okay, so I have was that Jenny? Yes. Okay, Jenny, and who Jenny? Who else? Uh, what was the uh, last initial of your first name? S is in Sam. Okay, and who else would like to uh, have? A, who else has a question? Chrissy. Hello, this is Mary in California. I'd like to ask a question. Okay, I got Chrissy, and I got Mary Lee, and then who else? Sharon H in Colorado. Okay, Sharon, gotcha. All right, let's start with that. So, and then Amy, you can come around the, the back end here if you're still there. Uh, so let's start with Jenny S. Jenny? Yes, thank you. Um, Jenny S., recovering compulsive overeater from Michigan, and thank you so much for your story. This is what I listen for on the daily meetings. Um, not what we should do, but what has helped someone. And you talked about the 100 forms of fear, and I'm wondering if you can um, talk about that a little bit more. How did you deal with that after you put the food down? And maybe if you could give a couple examples of how you've used Step 10 with fear. Okay. Um, yeah, I uh, like I mentioned, I had fear as a child, and it just stayed with me. Um, as an adult, and the last time I went through the, the through the steps with my sponsor two years ago, I was just plagued with fear, and um, and I really didn't know why, and um, you know, but now I'm able to see 
because that was my coping mechanism. And it started as a young child and it just stayed with me as an adult. And, um, and I, and as I mentioned, this has been the hardest piece for me because my higher power is invisible and I can't see him. So, um, it's very easily for me to take my will back and try to run the show myself. Um, so when, and then another thing about fear is what happens with me, there's someone in my life um, and I just kept being very fearful of this person. And it was just one fear after another. And I couldn't figure out, I was getting, so, it's like, why am I so fearful of this person? And I finally asked my mom, you know, what, why do I have this fear? And, and she said, cause I was very fearful of my brother. And, um, and my mom said, it, you, she reminds you of your brother. And, and so then it triggers the fear in me. And so once I figured out where the fear was coming from, now I'm not fearful anymore. And, and what I, when I do have, I still do have fears though, not as many. Um, but what I do is I have a network of recovered fellows. I call them my 10 step buddies. And what I do is I just call them and whoever I can get a hold of, you know, I just, I keep calling them and I do um, a fear inventory and it's amazing because it works and then it helps me with my fear and it, it helps me realize I'm trusting relying on myself and that has never worked for me and I need to trust and rely on my, my higher power, which is God. And the opposite of fear is faith. And that, as I mentioned, that's been a tough one for me and it's, you know, I will never graduate from this program. We will never, Leah will never have a graduation ceremony on our meetings during the week, and we won't get caps and gowns. Um, This is a a daily reprieve, and it's up to me to work my program. Otherwise, I'll be in relapse, and I know that about me. So for me, it's critical to do 10 steps and to help others do 10 steps. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much, uh, Jenny, for your for your question. Uh, Chrissy, you're up. Cheryl, and Cheryl, we got you on the. Hi, Chrissy. Okay, I'm sorry, Chrissy. So yeah, I called Chrissy. Then we'll then we'll go Mary Lee and and uh, and then Sharon after that. Okay. Okay. Hi, I'm Chrissy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. Thank you so much. I um I was touched by how you shared about your father and brother and how that was lifted, that resentment was lifted from you. And I've had that experience. And then I've also had the discouragement of having having it triggered again, you know, similar to what you were just sharing about having fears triggered again. And then going through it, you know, with 10-step buddies. But getting frustrated, I think that I'm, I, I'm getting frustrated sometimes with, I guess, Having it having it triggered again, it's like ah, I just wanted to be gone, and and I just wanted to know how you cope with that in in your faith, you know, having your higher power remove it to a degree, but not removing it completely, and how you don't get a resentment against God or the program in that. That's my question. And I'm sorry, what was the last part of your question?
Did you ask did you ask me for a follow up something? Yeah, what was the last part of your question? Well, how do you not, you know, with the I know, you know, you'll you'll rework it through a ten step, but how do you not lose heart? You know, how do you just keep plugging away when it when the same things keep cropping up? And how do you not fall into a depression over the fact that it 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 does come back and the higher power doesn't lift it all at once on your on your terms. Well, you know, one resentment that keeps coming up for me is the clutter in my house. <laughs> and, you know, I it's just something that I have to continue working on. And um and one thing about me, um, I get triggered when there's clutter in my house because when I was face down in the food and was sleeping all the time and the blinds were drawn and I didn't see sunlight um, and unless I went out to the store to get my binge food. Um, I didn't do anything. As I mentioned, I was a sloth and I didn't do anything. I didn't shower. I didn't, um, you know, I, I, I just didn't do anything. And, um, and so so when there is, you know, I have a husband and um, a daughter and, and, you know, plus me, it's, I have a hard, that's like one of my, I, it's hard for me to like pick up. I've always had issues with that and it's just a residual of my eating disorder. So it's just something that I have to constantly work on, you know, and um, are, what step are you on? I'm working um, 10, 11, and 12. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, just continue doing 10 steps. And um, and another thing, you know, the big in the big book, um, it in the acceptance part, I think it's on, what is it, on page 417. Um, I have to read that a lot, just okay. accepting, you know, because I have tendencies to be controlling, and that when I am controlling... Um, I'm not trusting on my higher power. I'm taking my will back. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the question, Mary Lee. Your turn. Good morning, Kathleen. Thank you, Larry, for being of service. My question just got totally answered with the last answer. Um, I too had a mentally uh, ill brother and. A father, the same issue, and and you've just so many similarities. Maybe it would be helpful if you could enlarge exactly how you do your tenth step around um, that fear. Could you just kind of give me an example, please? Thank you. Sure. Um, basically, what I do, I have a form right here. Um, <clears throat> I just print out the um, the fear inventory. You know, there's several different forms that we can get online, and I just print it out. I keep those with me in my um, in my book bag at work because I never know when I'm going to have a resentment or a fear. And I also have some step prayers, and so I have it with me. And I just do everything that's on the on the form, just like I did with my um, my step four. So that's that's how I do it. I just do, and then I also 
can read page 60, I believe it's page 67 in the big book on fear. Um, you know, and I have to continually, that's on page, well, 68, I believe. I have to continually, well, 67 and 68, I have to continually read that section, you know, because I will take, you know, I will I will rely on finite self. And it's like, when will I learn that that doesn't work? And one thing about, and, you know, and then when I was coming out of relapse, I would read the first 164 pages. I just kept reading, even though we were reading it on the line. I saturated myself with the program. And, um, you know, and the answers are in this book, The Solution. And so to answer your question, I just use the form. I use an inventory form for my fears. Oh, thank, thank you so much for the question, Mary Lee. And Sharon from Colorado. You're up, Sharon. Cheryl R. Thank you, Larry. Can you hear me? I can, and I, oh, okay. so much, I, I heard you, Cheryl. I got you, Cheryl. Um, go ahead, Sharon. Okay. Oh, thank you, Kathleen. Uh, thank you for your story. Um, it just touched my heart, and... Um, I could relate so much to the fear because that was my issue from the time I was a little child too. And um, but a couple questions I had to ask you um, is one, um, you know, the alcohol foods by God's grace those have been laid down and and I treat them just like you know I would not take a drink of alcohol. I was just wondering if you could share a little bit more of what your parameters are around food behaviors on a daily basis. And the other thing is um, the step 10 and what about step 11? I just recently had someone share with me how she does step 11. And I thought, wow, I've never really gotten into that to that degree. So if you could just share about those two things, Kathleen. Thank you. Okay. Um, as far as food behaviors, I don't eat in my car. Um I used to binge in my car while I was driving. Um, if I'm in a situation where I have to bring, you know, I know we don't really want to focus on food, um, but if, I have, if I'm have, if i going to be out all day, I bring my food with me, and I may have to eat in my car while it's parked. Um, okay. But I don't, I don't um, drive and binge, and I don't stand up while I'm eating. Um, and... Let me see. And you, let me see. I had, I had. She was asking about step eleven as well. Yeah. Let me see. I had that marked in the book. Um. Let me see. Um. Can anyone remind me what? Page the steps are on on the big book. I had it marked, and now I don't, I can't find my bookmark. I believe 59. 59. Okay, thank you. Oh, you know what? My bookmark was in the way. <laughs> um, okay, so step 11 um, spiritual awareness sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
um, what I do is during my lunch, um, I go to a quiet place. I clock out because I work, and I go to a quiet place. I put earplugs in. I eat my lunch, and I have um, some things that I read, my, my, um, my devotionals that help me, and I just, I read, and it keeps me close to my higher power, and then, and it's really helped me with my fears, too, and that's what I do, and then, you know, that way, if I have a fear, um, I can, um, you know, when I read, and I feel, I feel closer to my higher power, and, and then I feel peace in my heart, and it just helps me get through the day. And then, and then sometimes while I'm brushing my teeth, I may read some devotionals too. So I try to utilize whatever time I have with my busy schedule. Thank you so much for the question, Sharon. And Cheryl, you're, you're up. Thanks, Larry. And Kathleen, thank you for that uh, terrific share. I'm Cheryl R. from Virginia. Um, I just wanted to ask a question. Um, since so often our triggers, you know, are these relationships with other people and um, reacting off of, of um, you know, our daily interactions with, with some people that cause our triggers, <clears throat> how do you deal with expectations of others on a daily basis? Uh, thank you. Um, expectations, I've been told, are resentments under construction. Um, so, in a lot of, so again, I will, I sometimes I have to read the acceptance part of the big book. Um, you know, I get, when I expect people to follow my script, I am going to be disappointed in their behavior, and then I'm going to have to do a resentment. Um, inventory, ten step. So, um, so I just, you know, it's all about accepting people for who they are, and and you know, and then you know, one thing that I mentioned, you know, with my dad, um, I really, the one thing that's really helped me um, turn my resentment into compassion and love and tolerance for people is trying to see their their point of view through God's lenses. And, you know, in everyone, you know, a lot of people in my life don't have a 12-step program, and they have past hurts and pain, and, you know, they're trying to live life on their own self-will. And if I can kind of, you know, see where they're coming from, that helps me. And I, I learned that from working the program. And um, that helps me to have compassion towards people. I have more compassion towards people now, um, whereas I didn't. I was very critical and judgmental. That's one of my character defects. Thank you for the question, Cheryl. I love that. Resentment under construction. I didn't expect for it to be raining while I'm in my car here, Kathleen, because after all, you guys might hear it, and then you might think I'm human. And Oh, gosh, I don't want that. Anyway, um, who else would <laughs> who else would like to or has a question for Kathleen? Press star one to unmute. Hi, this is Kathy Kay. 
Okay, Kathy. Hi, this is Jen and R. Hi, this is Jen R. from um, Maryland. Okay, we got Kathy. We got Jen R. Anybody else want to jump in the this pool? It's really warm. Um, yes, this is this is uh, Kathleen S. in uh, Upstate New York. Kathleen's jumping in. Anybody else? Anita D. Anita's going to jump in. Who else? Okay, let's go with that for now. We got uh, Kathy K. We got Jen R. We got Kathleen, and we got Anita. Kathy K. You're up. Thank you, Larry, for your service. And uh, Kathleen, thanks so much for your story today. It was really wonderful to listen and to learn. Um, I am somebody who's uh, very dedicated to uh, doing service, and I regularly um, follow up with newcomers and obviously have a few people I'm sponsoring, and I wonder if you could reflect anything that um, made it possible for you to really get recovery with the last sponsor that you worked with starting two years ago. I mean, did she do something different um, that helped you really engage the step work in a way you never did before, or was it just a matter of you being willing? Any reflections you have on that would be helpful. Okay. Well, I never, I spent years in the rooms, and I never studied the big book, and I never understood, even though I had experience with binge drinking I never understood how the with the big book or how it how it relate related to my eating disorder, and I certainly never studied um, the doctor's opinion, and I didn't know what was wrong with me, and so the difference for me was you know because I used to <clears throat> I used to you know now there's ever since I had my daughter I've been I do phone meetings and I've been in all sorts of different phone meetings, and my I would rest on my laurels and I would um just listen to the meetings and that's all I did. I wouldn't do ten steps, I wouldn't sponsor anyone. I was taking, I was not giving. And so um the difference for me was studying the big book like my life depended on it. And um you know, and studying the doctor's opinion. Now I get it. Now I know what's wrong with me, and I cannot ingest my trigger foods. If I do, I will binge, and um, and that is what made the difference for me. If I rest on my laurels and I stop working the program, I'm setting myself up for a relapse. So, and and I will, as I mentioned, I will never be cured. Just like they say, once a pickle, you can't. You can't go back to being a cucumber. So, and why I have this, I don't know. It doesn't matter. You know, um, I just do. So, um, you know, what the only thing I can do is work the program. And like I said, it's the only thing that that's worked for me. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Jen. Jen R, just press star one to unmute. Hi there. Um, this is Jen R in Maryland. 
And um, I am living your story right now with my dad and a stepbrother. And um, I understand that I need to recover completely and do the acceptance prayer and stuff to not expect my to not expect my dad to accept me and include me. Um, but until that point, I keep, I, I, I'm still going to the hardware store looking for milk, as they say in the program. I'm still going to my dad looking for love and I'm not getting it. Should I just stay away until I recover and can accept that I'm not going to get it? Or do I just keep putting myself in that situation to be hurt? And, and that's all. Um, what step are you on? Uh, I'm on step one. Step one? Like um, newly abstinent I, on, and on step one. Okay. I would just keep working the program and like your life depends on it. Are you working with a sponsor? Yes, I am a recovered sponsor. Very hard on it. On it. Yeah. Okay. And, um, it, you know, I would just keep going. I would go through all the steps and, um, and eventually, you know, you'll get through that. Um, but the only thing that's going to help is to just make sure that you go through all the steps. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the question, uh, Jen. And then we have Kathleen the Dream. Kathleen S., you're up. Kathleen, press one. Hi there. Hi, Kathleen. Um, this, uh, I'm Kathleen from a Recovering Compulsive Overeater from Upstate New York. And um, I'm also um, clean and sober many years in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I have a very dear friend. In fact, she's like my best friend. And um, she's sober more than 30 years like me, too. We both got sober like 20. And um, I love her dearly. And she is going to a program called Food Addicts Anonymous. Um, which is very different than Overeaters Anonymous, and I respect her recovery. And um, we were um, out shopping, and uh, um, there was a, there was a little somebody. It was right before Christmas, and they had like a little coffee uh, kiosk, and they were giving away these little samples. Now, I mean, I can drink coffee; it's not a problem. Um, and she said it was chocolate chai. Now, my thoughts was, um, you know, it's just this flavored coffee. It has nothing in it. Well, I took this little drink very innocently, and I took this swig, and I almost spit it out into the girl because it had so much sugar in it, and that was gagged me. And um, I was like, oh, my God, there's so much sugar in it. I was like, oh. And, and I just, you know, threw it away. And um, my friend took a real offense to that. And I said, Sharon, this was done real innocently. I did not, um, I just thought it was flavored coffee, a little sample of flavored coffee. Oops, I made a mistake. And she was just so almost Gestapo-like about it. And um, I know that for me that I cannot stay sober going to OA and I cannot stay, ab- I cannot stay abstinent um, going to AA, that they're two different diseases for me, and I have to work both programs. I have an awesome Kathleen, do you have a – Kathleen, I'm sorry. I, my, my, you my have question a question, was, my dear? My, yes. Okay, my question, my question is um, just I, I, have, I have this judgmentalness over my friend, and I just don't know how to handle it. I just feel so judged by her. You have a resentment towards her? Is that what you said? 
No, not resentment. I'm, I'm judged by her. I don't resent her. I love her dearly. Um, I just, I don't know how to handle her judgment towards me. Because um, we're going... In what step are you on? Uh, I am on one. I'm asking in about uh, 52 days. 40, 47, are, you work, are you working with a, a recovered sponsor? I am. She's awesome. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I just, you know, it's probably, that may be a resentment that's going to go on your, um, on your four steps. Um, I would jot that down and, you know, since you're only on step one, what I tell my sponsors, um, when, when they, when any, any time something crops up, as they're working on this, as I'm taking this through the steps, to jot things like that down because they're going to uh-huh. go on your resentment sheet. Um, to me, that sounds like a resentment. Uh-huh. So, and you mm-hmm. can talk to your sponsor about that, when, you know, once you get through, um, when you're doing your step four. Thanks for the question. Kathleen, okay. appreciate that. You bet. And uh, I don't know if I, I believe it was Alita, I'm informed, rather than Anita, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe Alita's in there too, tomato, tomato. Um, is it Alita? Yes, this is Alita D. <laughs> oh, Alita, thank you. You're up. Recover compulsive overeater for today. Um, Kathleen, thank you so much for your uh, hope and, and recovery story. Uh, I love you kept saying uh, I work my program like my life depends on it, but I know that uh, being mother of a teenager or a 11-year-old and working and husband and life it gets can be very very um, complex, you know. Um, so how do you do the balance, you know? Because it takes a long time if I want to do the if I'm going to study the big book and I'm going to do the meetings and, you know, it takes a few hours a day just to go to meetings and then uh, working with the sponsors and working with the sponsees and um, uh, how do you balance um, life with the program? And I guess that's my question. Thank you. Okay. Well, you know, I spent a lot of time binging and going to the grocery store and buying my binge foods and sleeping. Um, So I can um, spend a lot of time. I can figure out ways in my day. I have a very busy schedule, and um, I'm mandated to work this program. I don't have a choice unless I want to uh, relapse. And I certainly found a lot of time to relapse. And... So I just, I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I, I'm a morning, I used to hate mornings when I was had a food hangover. Now I love mornings. That's my quiet time. And I am doing from 4 a.m. to 8 o'clock when I go to work. I'm already working my program for four hours. I'm on the meeting. You know, I'm talking to people. I'm responding to um, emails, 
So by the time I get to work, I already have worked my program for four hours. Um, and, it, and it's kind of funny. I've, I've always felt like I live this dual life. The people I work with, they have no idea what I do behind the scenes. <laughs> you know, it's like the, a, a, diff, a separate part of me that they don't know about. And, and I just, you know, I make outreach, outreach calls during my break. Um, I text people while I'm working, whatever I can do to stay connected to program. Um, I, I have a headset. I can talk to people in my car. Um, you know, if, if your recovery is important to you, you will find ways to work it. I have a, um, my daughter will be 10. She knows when I'm in the closet, the master closet, I am to not be disturbed and I'm talking to someone. She doesn't really understand what it's all about yet, um, but she knows that I'm talking on the phone. Um, sometimes she comes in, um, but it's very, it's imperative to me to work my program and to find time to work it. Thank you for your question, Alita. So we have time for a few more questions uh, for Kathleen, if you'd like to jump in. Press star one to unmute if you'd like to ask Kathleen this, a question. This is Brenna. I have a question. Was it Jenna? Drenna with a B. Drenna. Drenna. Okay. Drenna. And anybody else? Carol G. Hi, Carol. You're morning. after Drenna. Hello. Good morning. And who after Carol? Okay. Let's go with uh, Drenna. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. There's one other person that, that maybe wanted to jump in. Who is that? Hi, Larry. This is Deanne F. from Long Island. Okay, Deanne. And so was it Brenna? Yes. Yeah, Brenna. Oh, my God. I have to, Brenna, I have to clean my ears out today. <laughs> Brenna, you go. You're up. No Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I have a, two questions, but one is about sponsorship, and it's a twofold question with sponsorship. Do you have any guidance on how to approach sponsorship for someone who has a relapse? Do you, do you continue sponsoring? Do you wait? Um, you know, do you have any feedback on that? And then my second question is, um, if, if one is working with a sponsor who does not themselves have a sponsor but works directly from the big book, do you have any thoughts or opinions on this? I'm sorry, what was your second question? Um, sponsoring without a sponsor. So um, sponsoring from someone I've had in my past a sponsor who did not herself work with a sponsor, but she worked directly from the big book and said she was um, very clear that, that the big book enables that. And I just was wondering if you have any opinions on that or feedback or experience or suggestions um, for, for sponsoring in this. You mean working with someone who doesn't call themselves a sponsor? Um, no, calls herself a sponsor but does not have a sponsor herself. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, you know, um, the big book doesn't talk about the word sponsor until we get into the stories. Um, then it brings up the word sponsor. Um but it doesn't, in the first 164 pages, it doesn't say, quote-unquote, sponsor. That's why, you know, a lot of people call themselves Big Book Guides. Um, as long as 
she is taking, you know, if she can take people through the steps and not be a, call herself a quote unquote sponsor. I hope I'm answering that correctly. Um, and, and then to answer the, the other, the first question you had on page 96, it gives us instructions. Sometimes people are not ready to put down the food and it is not our job to chase them because there is hundreds of people next in line. And um, it's not mean, but um, if someone is not ready, they're not ready. And on page 96, it says, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. And then you can go on and read the the whole um, paragraph. And if someone is not ready, you just move on to someone who is. And you know, and I, I've I've worked with people who um, they just couldn't get out of relapse, and they wanted me to continue working with them. And um, and I I was willing to um, you know a couple times, but then finally you know, because of the directions in, on page 96, um, I just told him, you know, I don't think you're ready and I I am here for you. Anytime you want to call me, just call me. And um, so the, the big book is very clear in the instructions. Thank you. I have one other question. Okay. Sure. Thank you. Do you, um, someone had asked about your food a little bit earlier, but I'm just curious, do you have a meal plan that you follow, or how do you kind of get to Well, that? that's that's kind of an outside issue, um, okay. and it is recommended that we see a nutritionist. I've seen, um, I just recently saw a nutritionist, um, so, you know, my my bodily needs are different from yours, Um <laughs> You know, my body's different from yours. My body's different from Larry's. And uh, so we all have, it's highly recommended that um, that we see a nutritionist. Got it. And does your nutritionist give you a specific meal plan to follow? I guess that's what I was asking. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you, Brenna. Thanks, thanks for your question. Carol, you're up, Carol. Thank you so much, Larry. It's Carol G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Good morning, Kathy. Hi. Good morning, and thank you so much. Uh, you've got a lovely energy about you. I've really enjoyed your share. Uh, my question is about your relationship with your higher power in your life. Um, in what ways is God everything for you, and what can get in the way sometimes of God being everything for you? When I take my will back. That is me getting in the way. Um, I had, and just recently, well, it's been last summer, um, I, it was around that time where that person that was in my life, I kept having fear one after another. And I wasn't, I kept taking my will back and I wasn't trusting and relying on my higher power. And I kept having just, it's like I can go, for a few weeks without fear. And then this particular week last summer, I was plagued with fear. And it was a reoccurring fear with this person in my life. Um, and and then, then 
there was a huge thing that happened. I was house-sitting for our neighbor, and um, they, I had um, my daughter and I went over there to water their plants, and I was distracted. My daughter was, she was, she irritated me. <laughs> I had a resentment, and I got distracted, and so I left their garage door open for 12 hours, and we live in a neighborhood where there's been theft. And I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was plagued with fear, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I think I left the neighbor's garage door open all night for 12 hours. And here in Arizona, it it is light at five o'clock in the morning and I wake up at four. So I went out there. Sure enough, their garage door was open for 12 hours. I was plagued with fear. I don't know about you, but I, I, it was fight or flight. I had the adrenaline going. I went over to the neighbor's house. I wasn't even thinking straight. I walked in their house. I checked every nook and cranny. Someone could have been in there. They could have, you know, attacked me. My husband was upset that I did that, but I wasn't thinking clearly. And then to me, the message was, and by the grace of God, nothing was stolen. There, Everything was in its place, and I had fear about telling the neighbor. And I ended up having to do a 10-step that morning. Um, and I think I called someone and woke her up. And, uh, and so the, my message from my higher power was, you know what? You're not trusting or relying on me. You keep having these fears. You keep taking your will back. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow this huge thing to happen. I'm going to protect the house. And now, do you trust and rely on me? And so that was the message that I got from my higher power. So um, does that answer your question? I hope I didn't get off on a bunny trail. Uh, no, I think that was great. Thank you so much for your question, Carol. And Diane, Diane, jump right in. Hi, Larry. Good uh, morning. This is Diane F. Uh, from Long Island. Uh, a grateful recovered compulsive overeater today uh, for one year. This is my one year abstinent date today. Uh, and I'm so excited to hear uh, a really wonderfully recovered speaker. Um, Kathleen, thank you so much for your share. Um, my question is with your 10th step. You know, my sponsor always says that if you, <laughs> if you don't do them right away, that it is like having poo on your shoe, that you are just tracking all over every place and everyone and everything. And so she always encourages me to, you know, to give them away. But I have to say that I actually have a lot of fear around that. Like, I don't, you know, I, I want to know how actually you do it. Do you literally just stop everything you're doing and call someone? Do you write it down? Can you just uh, talk a little bit about those all-day-long tense stuff? Thank you so yes. much. Um, <clears throat> what I do, if I'm at work and I have a 10 step, uh, you know, a fear or a resentment that crops up, as I mentioned, I keep um, a fear sheet and a resentment sheet 
in my book bag, and I also have a bunch of um, a bunch of uh, step prayers. I keep that all stapled together because I never know when I'm going to have a resentment or a fear, and um, and I will during my lunch or even at my desk sometimes I will write it out, and then um, I will text someone or call someone and ask if they will take my 10 steps and I will go into a conference room, I'll do a 10 step or I'll do it when, I, when I'm um, leaving work. And yesterday I had um, a resentment and I just, I was at the store and I was buying a gift card for my stepfather and I was obsessing about something my mom said, and it just, and that's what I've learned of resentment is, if it takes up rent, if it takes up space in my head, rent free, and I'm obsessing about it, and it just will not go away. I need to do a ten step because I will obsess, and um, so I just kept calling people, um, recovered people. I left messages. And I couldn't get hold of anyone. I left a message on one of my 10 step buddies' voicemail, and then someone called me back. And so I was able to talk to her and do the 10 step. So that's what I do. And to me, um, I can't rest on my laurels and not do a 10 step because I did that before, and it just kept me in relapse for most of my adult life. So I can't. Um, you know, it talks about how, you know, resentment should be the same as feeling. Um, and it, it's um, it's a poison. We cannot, that's why we eat. And, um, you know, that's why we binge. Because I, I used to anesthetize myself with the food because I could not deal with those feelings. And, it, and I just numbed myself out by binging, my brain's out. And then I didn't have to feel anything. But then I would end up being having a food hangover, and it was horrible. So um, <clears throat> it's I have to do ten steps. I have to find time. So that's what I do. Thanks so much, Deanne, for your question. Well, the lights go on. Last call from the the Bakery of Wisdom here. Who wants to jump in? Anybody? <clears throat> Leah S. Leah. Leah, why don't you uh, why don't you finish it up for us here with the question? Go ahead, Leah. Hi, thank you so very much. Um, my question is: um, in doing a ten step, I still cannot um, let go of projection. And um, how do we? How do you just? Uh, let me briefly tell you, there's an event coming up, a very emotional event, and it's inevitable. <clears throat> and um, and, and uh, I just cannot let go of projection. And I, I, need to, I need some more depth into it because I've worked on it. Obviously, if it is bothering me it, to the extent that I keep on doing the same the same 10 step and maybe you can have some give me some more insight on on how to let it go finally <laughs> thank you is it fear is there fear involved 
Um, no, it's not fear. It's pain. Okay. It's pain. Like physical pain? It's uh, no emotional pain. Okay. Um, well, you know, you may, um, well, it could, you could have some underlying fear um, if you're projecting um, something that's going to happen in the future. Um, it sounds like, to me, like it might be a fear. And, um, you know, I've heard other fellows say that sometimes they just have to keep working the same 10-step over something. And um, I, you know, as I mentioned, one thing that always crops up for me is just the clutter, you know, with, and it just, it's not going to go away. And um, so, and it's about, uh, as I mentioned, you know, reading the acceptance section in the big book on page 417, you know, accepting that, you know, things are the way they are and uh, we can't, I can't control anything. Um, And and I've, I've learned that, most of my fear, oh, my, not most, all of my fear is fancied and not real, just like the big book says. And um, and I and I can see that when I look in the rearview mirror. And once I've come through something and I'm out the other side, I can see where my thinking got me into trouble. And it never turns out the way that I projected it to turn out. And it always ends up being okay. But for, you know, I have a built-in forgetter and I always take my will back. And, you know, it gets and it gets better as time goes by, but I'll never graduate. I'll never be cured. I hope that helps. That helped so much. The words clutter helped me tremendously. I have to work on my yoga. Thank you so very much. My pleasure. Kathleen, thank you so much. Uh, we, we just are sincerest gratitude for your, uh, for your qualification this morning and your words of wisdom. Um, just to, you know, as we're wrapping up here, I'd like to, to let you know a couple of things. One is that the share ID for Kathleen's uh, special edition this morning is 8299. That's 8299. And you can hear that uh, on the recorded line uh, once this meeting is over, 8299. Uh, also, Kathleen's uh, contact information will be, uh, will be provided, um, unless Kathleen tells me, no, you lughead, it won't be. But I think it will be at the end of the meeting. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but let's, re- okay, terrific. Thank you, Kathleen. And with that, let's wrap up the meeting the way we, we typically do. Uh, and I'll read uh, a vision for you. At the very end of the chapter here, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. 
This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you.